Welcome to the Fearless Year podcast. Where we're dedicated to helping ourselves. And you along with us. Break our codependent relationship with fear. I am Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And I'm Nathan Robinson. Together, we talk to experts about traits and skills and areas we hope to grow in as leaders of businesses, families, and communities. Skills and traits like creativity. The ability to confront. Empathy. And time management. Your Fearless Year is all about fearing less. And doing more. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Hey folks, welcome back to The Fearless Year. I'm Nathan. And I'm Rebecca. And today we have Brad Aronson with us. Brad, we're so glad you took the time today. Husband, dad, son, entrepreneur, angel investor, mentor, volunteer, um, and board president of Big Brothers Big Sisters in the Independence region and HopeWorks. Like, is there anything you don't do? Uh, there's lots of things I don't do. My wife <laughs> is a little bit uh, ambitious, but there's there's so much good stuff to do. It's hard for me to say no. Awesome. I mean, and he is also the uh, Wall Street Journal's best-selling uh, author of Humankind, which incidentally, I kid you not, last week I was on an airplane and somebody walked in carrying your book and I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to you. I'm so excited. So, Did you tell the person? I didn't. Did you I, say, hey, 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 I, hey, hey, <laughs> I know him or I'm going to. I really wanted to, but I, I resisted. So anyway, so, so thank you. Um, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Brad, at the right off the bat, we want to give you a chance to, to have the floor and define kindness. That's our topic today. So kindness is when you're thinking, how can I make the world better for someone else? So, and you know, I should actually take a step back. It's how can I make the world better? Because we want to be kind to ourselves as well as other people. So in terms of other people, when we're out and about in the world, Every interaction we have is a chance to make the world a better place and to make someone's day. And kindness is, is seizing on those opportunities. And kindness is also treating ourselves the way we treat a good friend, because often we are more harsh on ourselves than we would be to a friend. Oh, that's so true. When you listen to the stories that you tell yourself, right, and you're hearing that like voice of you're a failure, you're an imposter, you're this, you're that. That's um, You'd never say that to one of your friends. Let alone, you know, an enemy. I wouldn't say that to anyone except for myself, maybe. So I appreciate so, that. Brad, is that when when you're working with people or, or speaking or writing, is that often where you start the, the self-kindness? Like if someone comes in and says, you know, I really want to do random acts of kindness or, or start being more kind to others, do you draw them back to that internal kindness first? No, usually I just ask them, like, what, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you love doing? And then when they tell me, it's so easy to say, well, let's look at how we can take what you love doing and do something nice. And mm. I also can often just tell, ask people, do you know anyone who's going through a rough time? Mm. And almost all of us, especially now, we all know someone who's going through a rough time. And often people are hesitant to reach out to someone because they think mm. it's going to be awkward. I don't know what to say. They might not want to talk about it. In, in writing to my book, I, I spoke with hundreds of people going through a difficult time. And a very common theme was it made such a difference when someone reached out to me, even with just a note saying, hey, I was thinking of you. Uh, and I just want to let you know that I love you or thanks for being a great friend. So it's it's that easy of just sending a text message or, or giving a call or sending a note through the mail. I think so often we get, uh, I don't know, drudged down with, with, oh, I have to make this big gesture. And I have to, if I'm going to be really, truly a kind individual, I have to, you know, donate a million dollars to that charity or... And so often it's these little things, right? It's the it's the knock on a neighbor's door. It's checking in. It's the text message that you send. Right. And you know what? You, that is exactly what it is. 
So, so many people are just held back by the enormity of need that's out there without realizing that something that seems so tiny can have this ripple effect. That the most fun part about writing my book was talking to these people where, you know, there's a woman who $45 wound up changing 900 families' lives or the lesson in shoe tying that changed thousands of kids' lives. Like, we don't have to be millionaires, like you said. We don't need an army of helpers. We can do it. And I, we don't know the ripples that'll happen. Man, it, that is so true. I'm, I'm actually, I'm smiling because I'm thinking right now, <laughs> this is a super personal and bizarre story, but I, um, when I turned 23, it was like the worst birthday of my life. I'm super sick and I, I drive myself to the hospital. Like I'm this sick. And it was a, like a payment that I couldn't get out of the, the parking lot and I didn't have any money on me and I am just in absolute misery like so sick and I can't get out and and this angel of a person appears and is like looks like you're having a rough day and paid the like one dollar that I needed in that moment I will never forget her I have no idea who this person is I have no idea why she found me in that moment but I I wish I had a way to reach her and just thank her because that that moment I actually get teared up about because mm. it was that emotional of a moment for me that somebody just said hey things are rough right now let me help you out yeah so little <laughs> that's that's really cool and it reminds me brad you something you said made me think about our limiting beliefs right we have these limiting beliefs mm -hmm. about what kindness is, what we're capable of, of doing, and that holds us back from even starting or even trying when the barrier is so low, right, that if it's a hurdle to jump over, the hurdle is literally not even an inch. Uh, and if we were to, to go over that first hurdle, we would, we would get momentum and, and have reinforcement. And uh, e even if you don't hear back, like, like yeah. you weren't able to, you know, tell the person just how much it meant in the moment, but what they gained from it, and I'm curious, Brad, to hear your take on this, what they gained from it, you will never know, That's right? True. They, they don't know how impactful it was to you, but you don't know how impactful it was for that person. So, Brad, do you have any insight around the, the reciprocal side of kindness? What, what does it do for us in addition to the people that, that we're helping out? So, you know, we, we aren't kind because it's good for us, but it is good for us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of scientific data that shows when we are kind and we do good deeds for others and we volunteer, it makes us happier. It makes us have more gratitude. It makes us feel like we have a purpose. And so to your, it's a great point that you're making in that really it's part of a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, that's not the reason we do it, but that is absolutely a side effect. Like that, I like the the thinking of kindness as a as a part of a healthy lifestyle. I was thinking about eating my Wheaties, you right, know, right, right. and like eat your broccoli and be breakfast. kind. Right. It's so important, though, that when you think about it, actually, we we do all of these things to keep our body in shape and make sure that we're you know getting enough sleep and exercising and eating healthy. And kindness is one of the things that I think is so often overlooked, and it is so as you as you mentioned, scientifically supported. Like this is really important that we do this for for ourselves, if not for everyone else around us. Right. So I, I personally really want to um, understand the story behind, because I know this is a, a deeply personal one, what, what it was that drew you to your work with kindness. So there were kind of two inspirations for my book, which is kind of the, the culmination of me kind of sharing these stories of kindness. 
The first was I was at the graduation of a mentee of mine. So she went to a high school in Philadelphia called Gerard College, which is a high school, even though it's called Gerard College. <laughs> um, branding, branding issues there. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm at this graduation and I'm sitting next to this 70 year old man and he tells me I've been down every year from New York to graduation because I went to this school and this school changed my life. Hmm. On the other side of me, I have a family where this, this woman's crying because she thought her, her son would either be in jail or, or homeless or on drugs or dead. And, and here they were at this graduation. Yeah. It was incredible that the young people graduating were from areas of Philadelphia where statistically it's not likely they're going to graduate, let alone go to college. Hmm. Every single graduating senior had been accepted to college. Uh. Now, the commencement speaker says this is unbelievable. And guess what? You won't see it in the news tomorrow. Mm. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Of course, this is going to be in the news. So the next day I wake up, <laughs> I get online, I look everywhere. I see nothing. I get the newspaper, the print newspaper. It's not in there. And I was so disappointed. And I thought, man, if, if I want to see more of these stories in the world, I should do something about it. I should mm. start writing about them. So I started blogging about good news. Then, uh, you know, fast forward six months from that date. And uh, my wife was diagnosed with leukemia. Hmm. So we're going through life, living it normally. You're planning your future. You never think like, this isn't something that happens to you. It's something you read about in, in a magazine yeah. or something. And all of a sudden, you know, she had a swollen lymph node, went to the doctor. The doctor did a test. If you have leukemia, you need to go into the hospital. If you're lucky, you'll be here for a month. And then you'll have two and a half years of outpatient chemo. Oh my gosh. And that means every, almost every day we were back at the hospital for chemo. For, for months. And so there's two and a half years of this. And somewhere a few months in, the nurses say, you know, we think you should go to this conference for, for young cancer patients and their caregivers. And my wife and I are like, we spend every day at the hospital. We don't want to go on the weekend to a cancer conference. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> like, the last thing we want to talk about is cancer. But the nurses, anyone who's been in the hospital knows the nurses are unbelievable. They, mm -hmm. they are, they're the people who got us through our treatment. They're the people who, their presence and guidance was as important as the actual medicine. Mm -hmm. And we thought if they think we should go, we should probably go. So we went. And one of the speakers said, if you have two and a half years of chemotherapy in front of you, you need to get a project because you're going to spend so many hours in the hospital. And just having a project gives you a focus it gives you a purpose. It gives you a distraction. So that night at dinner, our, our son was five at the time, and he didn't know exactly what was going on. Right? He knew his mom was sick. He knew she was in the hospital for a month, and he could see, but he, he, was, he didn't know everything. And we're talking about projects. And my wife decides she's going to write in her journal uh, every day. That's going to be her project. Our son decides he's going to play wiffle ball for 200 days in a row. Oh, and he, awesome. he is a diehard Philly fan. And All we right. did it. So every day. He's wearing his Phillies hat, his Phillies jersey. He had wristbands. He had Phillies socks, shorts, jacket, everything. And every day we went in the backyard. And we played wiffle ball and he was the Phillies. And I was whatever team he decided the Phillies would beat that day. <laughs> it was the best record the Phillies have ever had. <laughs> but that was his project, which was super fun. My project, I decided I would write about the small acts of kindness that changed our lives. Mm. So when we were going through this time, you don't realize it. I had spent my life as a volunteer 
and I never needed help. And I didn't even know how to ask for help. People would come and say, what can I do for you? Tell me what I could do. I had no idea. I was so tired. I was like, I don't know. And then some people just came and they just did stuff. And that's when I learned that you just have to do stuff. My wife's friend Dawn called and said, hey, I know your son loves Little League and Mia does all the registration. Sign up is this week. I'm going to sign Jack up for Little League. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure he gets on a team with someone who could drive him to practice because you're at the hospital all the time. And guess what? This is Philadelphia. We're a massive city. Our Little League is run by volunteers. I don't know how you get on a team with someone who's going to drive you everywhere. <laughs> but Dawn took care of it. I didn't have to think about that. We got on a team. Someone drove us. You know, my cousin Betsy, uh, it was coming up to Christmas break, which meant our son wouldn't be at school. And then I'd have to figure out what to do with him when I was going to treatment with Mia. And she said, hey, there's this camp that you could send your kids to over winter break. I call up this camp. Oh, we're all, we're sorry, we're totally booked. And there's this regulation of number of counselors to campers and we can't not do it. My cousin says, so are you excited about camp? I said, you know what? I totally missed the deadline. I'm not gonna go. She's like, you're going. And what happened was she talked to all her friends, people who didn't even know me these moms donated their kids' days at camp so that Jack could go to camp, which meant these are working moms. So they're going to miss, they're going to have to miss work and take a day off because their kid didn't go to camp. They just kind of did that. And it was the day that, you know, a neighbor showed up and said, Hey, we made an extra lasagna. I wanted to bring one by for you. Those little, when you're going through that emotional stress and, and you know, this from the dollar, the dollar that you got, it's not a big deal. The lasagna is not a big deal, but it gives you that strength. Someone sees you, someone wants to help you. Mm. So that I started writing about that, which helped me relive that kindness. It gave me strength. And then I took it further and I wrote about small acts of kindness that didn't just help a little bit, but had this insane ripple effect mm. where someone did something small and it helped thousands or tens of thousands of people. So that's kind of the, the story of how this got started for me. Oh my gosh. What's, what's one of those stories that you just alluded to from your book? So uh, I'll tell you the story about this, this kid named Jimmy. So when Jimmy was in third grade, he more than anything else just wanted to blend in and not stand out. And one of the problems was when he went to school, his mom would tie his shoes in a huge jumble of knots. And it was embarrassing because no other kid had their shoes tied in a jumble of knots. But if his shoes came untied, he couldn't tie them. And that was even worse. He'd have to ask his third grade teacher, Mr. Clarkson. Mr. Clarkson had no problem tying his shoes, but Jimmy had a problem with that. Mm. And, and Jimmy's challenge was unlike all the other kids, he was missing one hand and he had a prosthetic hand and he felt really bad about it, you know, partially because kids didn't react that well to it. Young kids don't, sometimes, he said the first day of school, some kid burst out in tears in his class because his hands scared her. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just felt bad. And this was just part of his life. One day, Jimmy gets to school and Mr. Clarkson says, Jimmy, I figured it out. And Jimmy says, what'd you figure out, Mr. Clarkson? He said, I know how you could tie your shoes. He puts on a movie for the class, drags two chairs to the hall, sits Jimmy down and teaches him how to tie his shoes with one hand. So what happened? Mr. Clarkson noticed that Jimmy was uncomfortable, went home and figured this out. So I I talked to Jimmy, of course, now is Jim. He's an adult. I talked to him and I said, what does this mean to you? He said, that was a defining moment in my life. That's when I realized if I put my effort to something and I want to do something, I can do it. I can make it happen. I don't know how long it took him. If it took him 20 minutes or five hours to figure out how to do it. But Mr. Clarkson did. 
So Jimmy wanted to be a baseball player and he practiced and he wound up leading our Olympic team to a gold medal. Then he wound up going to the majors and pitched a no hitter, which is huge. If you're, if you're a pitcher and you pitch a no hitter, that's a huge accomplishment. He went to an exhibition game in Cuba where in Cuba, the first three batters hit the ball to him on purpose because he had one hand and after he pitched, he had to go like quickly get his, get his glove from under his armpit and put it on. And then he'd field it, have to throw the ball up, put the glove under his armpit to throw it. So they were testing him. He got all three of them out. And after that, the Cuban audience started booing their own team and cheering <laughs> for him. And, and when, when he started getting fame, people would show up at his games. So young, young kids with disabilities and their parents looking for a little encouragement. Mm. And he started getting letters. He wound up getting hundreds of letters a week. And he said, I talked to every kid. I talked, oh. to, I responded to every letter along with my PR person at, at, the, at the team, because I knew how far a little bit of encouragement could go. And then he went on speaking to these groups to inspire them. And he started raising money for them. And one of those kids who saw him was Nick Newell. So Nick, uh, as a six-year-old, his grandparents took him to a Yankee game. And there was a meet and greet afterwards where he could meet Jim. And Nick told me, he said, this was the first person I ever met who had one hand. He played baseball for my favorite baseball team. And I thought, man, if he could do this, I could do this. And Nick always wanted to wrestle. So he signed up for his high school wrestling team, lost his first 17 matches by getting pinned. This is the worst way to lose a wrestling <laughs> So he's having these, these issues, but he keeps trying. He's, he's determined by his senior year. He's an all-state champion. He's the captain. He's undefeated. And he get, winds up getting into mixed martial arts. He wins his first 13 matches. He wants to compete in the UFC. And the pre, and that, cause that is the highest paying and most prestigious mixed martial arts uh, fighting league. And he applies and they say, you know what? The head guy says, it's hard enough to fight with two hands. It would be crazy to try to fight with one hand. So instead Nick goes and becomes a champion in another league and, and pushes himself. And what he also does is he goes and he meets with kids with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And he told me that some, some of his matches and out and about, he, people would come to him, mainly parents looking for advice. Like, how do I encourage my kid who has a disability to go after their dreams? And he, Nick's telling me he goes to these co conferences where, where he talks to the parents, he talks to the kids. And sometimes you know, he even teaches them how to tie their shoes with one hand. And I said, Nick, what inspired you? He said, when I was six years old, Jim Abbott was a superstar and he took the time to talk to me. And that taught me that I'm not better than anyone, that I need to take the time to talk to other people, to coach them and to be there. So it was that ripple from a third grade teacher with a lesson in shoe tying that had this nice, enormous impact. Because, you know, as you started, kindness can be something really small. Yeah. And it's contagious. Oh my gosh. I, so Brad, a couple things. One, I've gotten so many chills. This whole, like I knew this was going to be an emotional episode. I'm sitting here just like, ah, just feeling one of the things that I heard you say that is just resonating again and again is that somebody sees you first. Somebody sees you and maybe for the first time sees you and sees that they have a, an, an opportunity to help through kindness. And I think that that is so often overlooked. We don't see people 
right? It's, it's too personal. It's too, um, invasive. It's scary because, oh my gosh, if I say, oh, Nathan, I think I can help you with something. That means that Nathan has to be willing enough to be vulnerable enough to say yes. And I could use that help. Um, I just, I think that is such a powerful concept that, that Mr. Clarkson, you know, represented so well there by saying, I see you and we can do something together. You know, it also made me think, you know, you mentioned the, uh, you put the movie on and he went out in the hallway when you first said it, right. I'm trying to play the story in my head. Okay. He puts the movie on. Is the movie about tying shoes? Oh no, no, no. He pulls two chairs into the hallway and what it made me realize and think about is not only did he see him, not only did he provide this opportunity for kindness, but he did it in a way that was empathetic and safe mm-hmm. for that child, right? For that third grader to not be a spectacle, not be called out. Even if you're trying to, to call it out you know, kindly, he's giving him that emotional space to say, hey, here, here's how, how I want to help you so that the child or the person can receive it in a way that is non-threatening to them, right? If you, if you come at me with your kindness, uh, hey, hey, we're I, in the middle of a podcast, Nathan. You want me to help you with something that I can see very, very clearly you need help with right now? No, no. <laughs> like so many of the people in this story were helped by someone who they weren't looking to get any credit. They kind of just, as you, as you were saying, they did it and they did it in such a thoughtful way. And that makes all the difference because you don't have to make a big show of it. And you could just think about how you would want that to happen if you were in their shoes, literally in this case. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's really, um, you know, you're talking about the, this kind of surprise, right, of, of not needing to be not needing to receive something for giving. And, and I think that is kind of surprising to a lot of people. Like, I, well, I, I expect that I get something back, right? If I, if I give you something, if I help you. And so, so often um, these kindnesses are, are given with, with zero expectation. Um, and I think that people find that rather surprising. Like, why, why would you do that? Um, so if, if you were looking back on, on all the research and all the stories that you've heard around kindness, are there other things that you can sort of pull out and say, well, that was really, that was something really I didn't expect. Um, you know, some surprising things that, that we might not think about when, when we, um, think about kind acts. That, uh, being seen even anonymously makes a huge difference. So if, you know, I'd mentioned at the beginning that most of us know someone going through a rough time and we can reach out to them. If you're still uncomfortable, you can reach out to them anonymously. And the amount of strength that gives someone uh, just a note, or even like this one woman I spoke to, someone gave her a $15 gift certificate that she didn't really need, but it made her realize that someone was thinking of her. She didn't even know who it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, d- doing something anonymously is a way to do it. Uh, a note, there's so much power in just a note saying, I was thinking of you, sending you a hug or, or whatever that might be. And also something I heard is often when something bad happens, there's this initial outpouring of support, but, and then it tapers off, but the people still need, need that support. So for example, if you have a parent who dies, you get all this support the first two weeks, mm. but man, when that first Mother's Day or Father's Day comes around mm. and their birthday and the second year that the Mother's Day or Father's Day, it's still mm. 
there and, and finding a way to make sure you're still in touch with those little, I'm just thinking about you makes such a difference. You don't have to do something big, just I'm thinking about you. We have friends who I'm convinced put on their calendar to make sure every two weeks they would just like email us a joke. Mm. Uh, I love that. Why not? Yeah. And, and it wasn't this pressure. They didn't have to talk about cancer. We didn't want them to. It was great. It was just like, here's a joke. Or they call up and like, you wouldn't believe what this knucklehead did at work. Great. Like, that's what I want to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so, so making sure that we're making time in the long term to, to, to keep that going is, is helpful. I remember um, when a, a friend of mine died and, and, you know, our family kind of, our families got together and, and one of the things that they did was exactly what you're talking about. We literally broke out a calendar and I know it, it feels a little cold to be scheduling these things like scheduled acts of kindness, but it made a huge difference because then you could spread out that care and support for a year, two years, three years in, in the future. Um, I, I really like that tip of, of making sure that that kindness doesn't just come as a, as a fire hose at the, at that moment, but also, you know, continued support. Yeah, I was going to say, in those moments of crisis, it can almost be too much attention mm-hmm. at the beginning, right? Too many people, you know, too many lasagnas, right? <laughs> um, I can't eat another casserole. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but then, and then not enough, right? Too much and then not enough. And it also, talked about calendars or scheduling. I mean, we have more we have more resources now than ever with our technology, with our phones to, to do reminders and pings and, and dings and to, to harness these things to remind us to share this kindness just in a moment. These, these small things can scale and we can use the tools that we have to, to do it. And, and why not build it into your routine? Mm-hmm. So every yeah. morning, let's say you have a cup of coffee. What if every morning after your cup of coffee, because uh, who knows what you'd say before your cup of coffee. But sure. your cup of coffee <laughs> I'm glad we an email or you write a note and you just say mm-hmm. you pick somebody. Hey, I just want to let you know. Thanks for being a great friend. I love that. Mm-hmm. So every day you're complimenting someone uh, because it's not just people going through a rough time. Like our kindness can brighten everyone's day. And as we said, it also helps us. So I'm a big fan of just working it into your daily routine if you can. That's great. I love that. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of uh, habit stacking, right? Atomic Habits, James Clear, and, and a bunch of other people, you know, talking about the same ideas. Habit stacking, but habit stacking with kindness. That's 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 cool. Have some kindness with that cup of coffee. Brad, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about kids in this conversation, from your son at five making his commitment to wiffle ball uh, to the the third grader. And one of the questions we love the most is this question of, if you could go back and tell your eight-year-old self, give your eight-year-old Brad self a piece of advice about kindness to, to carry you forward, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, that is a, a, a great question. You know, I, I, I was really lucky in that like, my dad is one of the nicest people I know. So I had this mm-hmm. role model who wasn't saying be kind, just watching him and and seeing, and I'd be in the supermarket and people would be like, oh, are you Joe Aronson's son? Yeah, he is the nicest guy. Here's something he did for me. So I, I had this role model. Uh, you know, what I think I would tell myself is everything matters. Uh, yeah. And even to people older than you, I think as a kid, you don't realize that you have so much power 
to bring joy to other people's lives. You think about the kid you see bullied and you're gonna stand up for them and be helpful, but you could also bring joy to adults, writing them a note and giving it to them or just telling your parents you love them and why makes such a huge difference. And I would just remind myself, you have, a, you have an opportunity to really help brighten adults' lives. So don't think of yourself as this eight-year-old. There's so much you can do, uh, but that, that's what I would say. I love the idea that you just brought up, that you are never too young to influence. You are never too old to influence. Everything matters at every point in your life. You have such great power to influence and change people's lives with small acts of kindness. I, I think so often, you know, when we're kids, we're, we feel powerless. And then as adults, we feel uncomfortable, mm. maybe like, uh, this is maybe this is childish. You know, this is what an eight year old would do. Right. She would send the text saying, I hope you're okay. I'm thinking of you. You're my right? friend. Yeah. I like you. And it, it, it we, we make jokes about it yeah. because it's uncomfortable for us. Right. It feels cheesy or something. And the exact opposite is true. You know, the exact opposite is that we all actually crave this. We want to receive this and we want to be open to it. So what stops us? It's, I think, always fear, right? Yeah. It's that, it's that fear. So maybe that's, maybe that's my big lead in to, to the, the whole topic of this podcast is becoming fearless. And by fearless, I don't mean, you know, jumping into the cage of a hungry tiger because you have no fear. I think that's a terrible idea, right? But actively and sort of consciously sorting our fears and saying, well, this is a real hungry tiger and I should be cautious of this. That's a life-threatening situation versus this is a fear like I'm afraid of being kind because it makes me vulnerable or I'm afraid of being kind because it makes me look foolish that I really need to, I need to get over, right? Um, so, so for you, being kind, how... How can you use kindness in your life to live more fearlessly? When you start, kind of like you're saying, it's hard because it feels awkward to put yourself out there and help somebody sometimes. Like, what if they don't want my help? What if they don't want to talk about it? Once you start doing it, you realize that it's amazing and people love it. And that then makes you even do more and more and more. To the point, and, and I didn't, the way I learned this was when people helped our family. So it was then that I realized, wow, strangers who just send me a note can change my whole week. Mm. And then I'm going to model that and do that for other people. Uh, and as you start doing that, you, you become more and more fearless and you see opportunities You're like, you know what? I see that opportunity. I'm going to call that person. I'm going to see what I can do. Or I'm going to call a friend and ask them to help me do this, this kind deed. And you just start being more and more out there. And also you just look for opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if every day we're waking up and looking around saying with every interaction, how can we make the world a better place? We're less in ourselves. We're less fearful. We're more engaged. We're out there. We're making a difference. So I think it's a mindset. And I believe starting small, like always gets things rolling, but then getting to the point where this is my daily mission. In addition to like everything I do, I'm going to make someone's life better today because I'm going to look for that opportunity. If only we looked for those opportunities more. I, I keep that, that, that is great. Like how can we look, how can we be open to seeking sort of create a search image as it were to, to find opportunities to be kind. That's, that's, powerful. I'm, I'm stealing that, yeah. good, <laughs> I'm good. making that part and, of my mission. <laughs> and there is, there's a lot of research that you can actually train your brain. So our brains learn from repetition. 
So let's say every day we have that habit of sending a nice note. And it can be super short, thanks for being a great friend, or it could even be more meaningful. Let's, let's put 10 or 15 minutes into it and make it really meaningful. Uh, and as you start doing that every day, your mind starts looking for who's doing great stuff for me today. It's just mm -hmm. natural that your mind looks gets in that habit. There's a bunch of research on this. And so then you start training yourself. And if you say every day I'm gonna do something nice, as you're doing more and more, your brain sees more and more opportunities. So it kind of builds on itself. It's that uh, um, blanking on the effect, but it's the, like you buy a red car and then you suddenly notice red cars everywhere. Mm. You know what I'm talking about. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I love the idea that we can use that, that attribute of our mind to reinforce in a positive direction instead of a negative one, instead mm -hmm. of spiraling on our fears or spiraling on negativity or nothing goes my way or here's another thing or oh great now fill in the blank and we notice the negative things we can do the opposite use the same tool right we, i think we often think about this tendency of our mind to fixate on on the negative we think of it as a defect of our brain but it's really just a, a wrong attention it's a wrong focus if we can f take the same skill and do exactly what you said brad and, and focus it on looking for the positive and looking for opportunities for kindness I mean, that's totally it i mean you you if you look for it and you just start asking the question why can't this be different hmm. uh i've got a few like a couple quick anecdotes i love uh that if, all right so i'll, I'll share yeah. them let's nodding. do it yeah absolutely uh, so th these are from Ronald McDonald camp. This is a camp for kids with cancer and their siblings. Uh, I was a counselor here for, uh, counselors are all volunteers. I was a counselor for a few years. Uh, and th the kids with cancer have to take medicine that makes you feel sick. So you take this medicine and you feel nauseous, you're tired. It just, it, it just really, the side effects are kind of bad for a lot of the, the kids. So every night you have to take your campers who need night medicine up to the wellness center. And you're thinking, this is just going to be painful. The kids, they don't want to take their medicine. They know what it does. But instead, the wellness center would be dark and there's this giant disco ball and it's like flashing and they're blasting this music. And they're like, all right, you want your medicine? You have to dance for it. And like the kids are dancing for their medicine and they're having all this fun. And suddenly it became fun. And, and someone's like, how can you make getting your medicine fun. Well, it's because the health and wellness staff asked, why not? Why can't it be fun? Uh, and it was just great. And it made me just, every time I see something that's not fun, I would think, how can I make it fun? Our son hated, hated making his bed. And it was this argument of, I'm not going to make his bed. And I was thinking, all right, what would Ronald McDonald camp do? I said, all right, Jack, you are a superhero. Your, your covers are your cape and you need to fly from the bathroom and he'd be running all the way from the bathroom, jump on his bed and his sheet would be on. Then he'd do his cover. But it was Ronald McDonald camp that, that, that gave me that inspiration. And, and there was another year, this is actually my first year at Ronald McDonald camp. The counselors get up a day early and you set up before, or even two days early, because we have some training. You're setting up before the campers get there. And I noticed that my co-counselor is unpacking his stuff and he has a leaf blower. I was thinking, maybe he's a little bit OCD and he's going to be leaf blowing all the dirt out of her. I'm like, so Jim, what's up with the leaf blower? He says, I wake the kids up with it. I go, really? He says, yeah, they love it. And I'm thinking, all right, well, we'll see. First day of camp, kids get there. He said, guys, I just want you to know, if you don't get up, I'm going to leaf blow you. And everyone's like, I don't want to be leaf blown. I'm thinking, all right, we'll see how this goes. There's this tradition at camp where every morning you wake up the campers early 
and you take them to the pool and you jump in. And it's called a polar bear swim because it's kind of cold. Oh, and, yeah. And, and the, the campers don't really love it. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to jump <laughs> in the water. Say, this sounds very demotivating to me. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm in a warm right. bed. <laughs> it's not. So for some of them, it's not super fun. And for the counselors, all your your goal is to make the kids have the best summer ever. So if you're forcing sure. them to do something they might not want to do, by the end of the week, no one would get out of bed because all they wanted to do was have this leaf blower blow their covers and everything. And suddenly it became super fun. Like they'd be leaf blown and they'd get out of bed and we'd be all laughing going up to the, the pool. And it, it was like Jim found a way to, mm-hmm. to make this really fun. And then what's nice is when I came home and told my family about it, Jack insisted that I wake him up with the leaf blower. <laughs> For about a couple of weeks, I was waking him up every morning with a leaf blower. Well, Nathan, you have four kids, so yeah. I think this is right up your alley. <laughs> I expect to hear about leaf blowing mornings from yeah. now on. Yeah, they've got the oldest ones have a triple bunk, so I can uh, just sort of go up and down. That's on, that's a good plan. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Ah, that's great. I, I think it's you know it's so easy because our brain relies on associations, right? There's so much information coming in that we just we quickly pair things off as like, mm-hmm. okay, that's good, that's bad. I like that. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that why, you know, the when the world asks why, we ask why not, mm-hmm. um, right? Like what? Why not? Why not take negative thing things that have negative associations and then say, well, yeah, but we can do it like this, and now it's fun, and now it's a positive association. Our brains are fully capable of making those shifts from you know these sort of negative negative thoughts to, to positive ones and i i think that's there's great power there's great power in what you're saying why not why not let's leaf blow the world indeed awesome. especially if it's a battery charged leaf blower cuz then it's <laughs> <laughs> you can there go you anywhere go. yeah brad thank you again for your time your stories your anecdotes and uh, we just want to close out with with one one thing, right? Imagine this podcast is a megaphone to the world. Everybody's got your voice in their ears, your voice in their phone, their smartphone, they're listening. What is the one thing about kindness that you would have, you would leave ringing in their ears? What's that one lesson you would teach them? Every single one of us can be a superhero. We can change someone's life by doing something so easy and so small. We just have to be fearless and do it. So please like look around and think, how am I going to make the world a better place with that one comment, with one gift, with a note and, and start doing it. And, and let's all be superheroes. Gosh, that's perfect. Awesome. <laughs> you just nailed it. Thank you so much for your time. This is, I, I feel, I feel completely um, overwhelmed with, with the information and the great tips that you've given us and, um, and thank you for your kindness and being with us today. I mean, the time is such a gift and, and I feel overwhelmed by, by your own kindness and, and sharing your experiences with us. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. This was, this was super fun and I love talking about kindness. You're doing all kinds of amazing things. The audience is definitely going to want to connect with you and find out more and where they can get your book. So if you want to give a quick plug and say, hey, where, where can people find out more? So uh, if, you, if you want to buy the book, Humankind, all proceeds go to Big Brothers Big Sisters. So it's a, it's oh, a passion wow. project. And uh, you, you can buy it at any online retailer. Uh, you can go to your local bookstore and they can order it if they don't have it or they might have it. Uh, and if you want to find me, just you can go to my website, bradaronson.com, uh, A-R-O-N-S-O-N, and send me an email uh, or find me on Facebook or, or Instagram and then drop me a line. I'd love to hear from folks. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it.
whenever we get done with an interview, we're curious, excited, we're hungry for more. And guess what? There's more. You already know The Fearless Year is a podcast, but it's also a pod course and a community of people looking to live more fearless lives just like you. The Fearless Year pod course is an on-demand resource built around our biggest learnings from the topics covered on the podcast. Each chapter includes additional tools, commentary, downloads, and prompts to further your own fearless journey. You'll also get free access to the Acuity 360-degree self-awareness app on iOS or Android. Finally, subscribing to the pod course also means that every month you will get a hard copy fearless bullet journal in your physical mailbox. This bullet journal has one month of planning pages to chart your day, do personal reflections, respond to challenges from the fearless year, chart your personal growth, and customize it to fit your productivity style. Check out all the levels and details at myfearlessyear.com. Again, check it out at myfearlessyear.com.